Thank you, Eli. Thank you, Esther and Brad, Tyler and Melissa and Tim and Brett. Thank you for leading us. Just a beautiful, uh, beautiful time. Um, Church, if you don't know me, my name is Reed. I have the joy of being uh, one of the pastors here, and it is an honor to to open God's word with you as we continue in worship. I want to I want to pray for our time, and I want to just pray a brief prayer uh, that has been prayed throughout the church. It's a, it's a prayer of what's called illumination, a prayer of receiving and preparing to hear God's word. And so let me take a moment uh, to pray for our time as we continue in worship. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may your spirit rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. In the name of your Son, and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. How do you, how do you know that you are really alive? This is more than just a question of biology, but how do you know that you are really alive? What is the difference between just being alive and just being? Is there a distinction? I think in one sense you could say it's the difference between hearing mere sounds and hearing a symphony. It's the difference between simply consuming calories and feasting with friends. It's the difference between finding a mate and falling in love. It's the difference between fulfilling simple tasks and fulfilling a calling. It's the difference between being a bag of bones and having the breath of the Spirit of God breathed into us. I want to ask a question uh, of all of us, and it's a question that may sound very simple at face value, but when when we allow it to linger, it may frighten us. But I want to ask this question for all of us to consider and to reflect on. It's this, are you really alive or are you just living? Are you really alive or are you just living? I won't speak for, for all of us, but I know that I often find myself going about my days, maybe more days than I care to admit, without any real sense that there is more to my life than my existence. And, and when I find myself in these moments where I'm kind of wrestling with this question or I feel this haunting question kind of rising up in my spirit, I, I try to distract myself with busyness, with tasks, various things to keep me from having to answer this question, read, are you really alive or are you just living? And, and maybe you resonate with that. Perhaps you're that same way. Rather than wrestling with this question, honestly asking, am I, am I just living or am I really alive? We turn to things like distractions, busyness, creature comforts, even, even addictions to, to kind of drown out the sound of this question that haunts us. Are you really alive or are you just living? If you were with us last week, you know we began a a series entitled The Story of the Spirit, exploring who the Holy Spirit is throughout the biblical story of Scripture. And and what I want us to do this morning, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 37 that Eli read for us. Uh, and, And whether you've heard that passage before or whether you thought it was a reading from the book of Harry Potter, uh, I want to spend some time looking at this strange but powerful vision of God's word to us, that it's the spirit that brings life. Now, the the nature of this series is such that we're kind of jumping around from book to book because we're looking at the story of the spirit told throughout all of scripture. So I need to give some context where we are. We were in Genesis last week. We're now in Ezekiel. And so I want to set the context. So Ezekiel was a prophet to the people of God in the 6th century B.C., and his prophetic message 
uh, from God was primarily a message of judgment upon God's covenantal people for their idol worship and for their compromised ethics, how they failed to fulfill their role of being a blessing to all nations and instead capitulated or essentially emulated the toxic, abusive, and corrupt behaviors of neighboring nations. But Ezekiel also had a message, or God rather, through Ezekiel, the message of of God's promised restoration and renewal in and through his people. We see it mixed together, and and Ezekiel by far has the most vivid imagery of all the Old Testament prophets. He has imagery that is is both shocking and in some ways offensive. And and if if we were to learn that there was an Old Testament prophet that dabbled in psychedelic drugs, old Zeke would be the number one suspect. And if you haven't read Ezekiel, then uh, go back and check it out. You'll know what I'm talking about. But this imagery, this imagery was not meant to simply be evocative and shocking. It was meant to awaken a stubborn and dead people who had fallen into sin and failed to live as God had designed them. Their wickedness, the people of Israel's wickedness, required strong imagery and words. And Ezekiel 37 is no exception. It comes on the heels of of Ezekiel chapter 36, in case you don't know how numbers work. Uh, So Ezekiel 36, we see the similar words of judgment as well as the promise of renewal in God declaring these words. Uh, Again, if you're familiar with Ezekiel, perhaps you've heard them, but Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, we read these words. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So this spiritual heart transplant is work that God does through the power of his spirit in his people. And what we see is that, and we saw this last week, is that the difference between life and death is the Holy Spirit. The only difference between life and death is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Ezekiel 36 sets the stage for this very strong uh, prophetic image and vision of the valley of the dry bones. And so what I want to do in our time together is I want to walk us through our text to show what what God's doing here so that we might see what he's doing here in our midst as a church family. So we're going to walk through the text together, and and, and I I don't think I've ever done this, but I'm going to have one point in my sermon. I don't even know if that's legal. I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to do that. But we're going to have one point in this sermon, and it is this. The only way to live is to be brought to life. The only way to live is to be brought to life. So with that being said, our one point that will be a long point, let's jump into our text together. So I want to read again uh, the first three verses of chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, if you're familiar with this vision, kind of the shock of it may not really be hitting you. You're you're familiar with it, but this is a morbid picture. It's a collection of human remains, of dead bones. And notice how they're described. It's not just bones. It's not even just dry bones. They're very dry bones. The the, the emphasis here is to communicate of utter death. 
There is no life present in this valley. It is dead. To, to, to paraphrase, uh, to use the line from The Princess Bride, they aren't mostly dead. They are dead dead. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think we understand this. They are dead dead. The point being made here is that apart from the Spirit of God, in our midst and in our life, there is no hope of life. The only way that we can actually live is to be brought to life. There is no hope of life apart from the Spirit of God. Now, some of you may hear that and you're like, I, I just don't believe that. I'm not really a believer in the things of God, the supernatural, and I get that, I understand that. But regardless of what you believe about God, all of us recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We are not the way we're supposed to be. And, and while the, the various diagnoses of what plagues us as a world, as a species, while it's a mixed bag, we all recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, now, some claim that the problem is a lack of education, so therefore the solution is to reform our school systems. Some would say that the problem is actually the, the, the deterioration, the breakdown of the family, so the solution is investing in marriages and parenting. Some say that the problem is actually the abuse of power in various places, and so the, the solution is to restructure institutions. And, and here's the thing. All of those things have a semblance of truth to them. But, but what they aren't sufficient in is that they, the, the reason why they're not sufficient is they don't go far enough. They don't address the bedrock issue of what plagues humanity. There's a truth in all of them, but they are only symptoms of a deeper issue. Earlier this, this spring, I, I, I had finally gotten my, my lawn to look decent. And, and if you know me, like I, 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 like, I have this, like, strange way of equating my significance as a man and how my lawn looks. It's just, if some of you are like, amen, I'm there. I get it, I get it. And so, but here's the thing. I finally got it to look how I wanted, but then, come June, these brown spots started appearing all over my lawn, and I was just, like, devastated. It was just, oh, like, this just crushes my soul to see. And so, I started to, like, water it a little bit more. I began to apply different fertilizer. I treated it for bugs and grubs, and it helped a little bit. But it just still didn't remedy the problem. What I came to find out is there was a fungus that had entirely taken over my yard. And so, so all these things that I was doing, they were necessary and they were helpful, but they weren't ultimately sufficient because they were treating mere symptoms and not the root cause. The problem was much deeper than I had thought, and so all of my solutions were not adequate. And again, does it mean that these things I did were not helpful? No, they were actually very helpful and necessary but they were only treating symptoms and not the root issue. Likewise, until we reckon with the fact that our fundamental problem in this world is that we have been separated from the source of all light and life and love, we will continue to repeat our problems because our fundamental issue, our fundamental problem, our fundamental ailment is that we do not have the Spirit of God at work within us. And as much as we want to believe our culture's narrative that, that all the problems of the world reside out there and all the solutions reside in here, we are going to be severely disappointed. There will be no hope for us because it's the exact opposite, which is true. The only way to live is to be brought to life. The solutions to our problems are not found within us. Remember what God says to Ezekiel. After he shows him the valley of the dry bones, he asks him this question, son of man, can these bones live? And the only way Ezekiel can answer in the affirmative, 
is if he recognizes that it's the Spirit that is the one who does this work. And that's precisely what happens next. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you. It's the same word for spirit. The same word is used to describe the Spirit of God. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The only way for life to be brought to these lifeless bones in this very bleak picture is through the breath of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the one who is the giver of new life. The only way to live is to be brought to life. Uh, several, um, every, every few years, our staff uh, is trained in CPR. And, and, and every few years, I'm horrified by, like, in my nightmares of these objects. Like, they're terrifying. The way it works is we look at them, we pass out, and then we perform CPR on each other because we're so terrified. But, but if you've never performed, uh, like, done CPR training... Uh, it is. It's, a, it's actually a very helpful experience. I've, we've been trained to perform CPR in various circumstances. I can perform CPR on adults, on infants, raccoons, you name it. Like, I, I know how to perform CPR. But here's the thing. Do you know what I've never been trained in? Is self-CPR. It turns out, and I've read some articles on this, you can't breathe into your own lungs. It checks out. It's just impossible. And, and I say this in the same way, the same reason why I cannot perform CPR upon myself because I cannot breathe into my own lungs, the same thing is true of our ultimate fullness of life. That life can only be found when the Spirit of God is breathed into us. The only way to live is to be brought to life. And so again, I, I want us to just honestly wrestle with this question that, that is frightening and haunting, but are you really alive or are you just living? I think we know the difference between this. We, we feel the distinction between just living and being fully alive. And this question becomes even more significant as we see Ezekiel's vision unfold. Let's jump to verses 7 and 8. And so this is Ezekiel speaking here. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now, notice what is present and what isn't present in this vision. These very dry bones that are nothing but death begin to rattle and move, but they're still, they're still not alive. And then, and then the bones start to come together in, a, in, a, in an orderly fashion, bone to its bone, and they're coming together, but they're still not alive. And then muscles and ligaments and tendons begin to attach themselves to the bones, but there's still no life in these bones. And then vital organs appear in their, in their order and proper place along with circulatory system, respiratory system, cardiovascular system, it's, and then it's wrapped together in skin, and now these bodies are standing upright, a whole collection, an exceedingly great army is standing, but they are still not alive, because there's no breath in them. And that is not a biological statement. That is a declaration of what is true. The only difference between life and death is the Holy Spirit. 
And the only way to live is to be brought to life. By all accounts, they appear to be alive. They have all of the empirical data of what looks to be a living being, but they are just as dead as their previous condition as a pile of dry bones because the breath of God's Spirit is not in them. And so church, we need to hear these words afresh. We need to hear them not as just an interesting Bible lesson that tells us something about the Holy Spirit. We need to hear this word because it may describe us. In fact, I will go so far as to say it does describe some of us. I am not so naive to think that that we are a church completely comprised of people who are fully alive in the Spirit. There are some of us today who are described by this vision. You may have the appearance of life, but but there is just death inside of you. You check the Christian box on on religious religious affiliation on surveys. You, You have all of the Christian accoutrements around you. I mean, you're here for crying out loud. You've come to church. You don't object to the idea that God exists. You avoid doing harm to people. But you know that your life is filled with death. You you know that you actually don't submit to the authority of King Jesus. You know that you view the scriptures as maybe a helpful, inspirational source, but as a necessary truth to us for all of life. Come on. You know that you think of prayer as just wishful thinking or sealing talk at best. You know that there are secret sins, destructive habits, and selfish ambitions that you have no interest or intention of repenting of. Because this is the life you want to live. You know that you are dead. And you know that the spirit is not alive in you. You are, you are in a manner of speaking, a Christmas tree. A tree that has been cut off from the source of its life. Has been brought into a home to make it look as though it's living. Decorated with all ornaments and trinkets to detract from the truth that this tree is dead. It has been dead. And it is going to be cast out and destroyed. It may look pretty, it may be surrounded with families and festivities and feasting of all kinds, but it is dead. And so friends, we need to be honest with ourselves. Are we just living or are we truly alive? Are you a fully intact body that has all the appearance of life, but there's no breath or life inside of you? If that is true, then you need to repent and to receive the Spirit and to know that through Him you can find fullness of life who can bring you out of the death of your mere living. Now, I want to be very very careful here. I am not talking about those of us who feel the weight and the significance of our sin. Those of us who who feel very viscerally that we have broken our covenant with God, that that we betray Him and rebel against Him. I'm not talking about those of us who confess our sin, who repent of our sin, who recognize fully that Christ has forgiven us of our sin. That is someone who is alive in the Spirit. But if you have no remorse, no conviction, no regret whatsoever about the way in which you live your life contrary to God's will, then, friend, you are not alive. And the most loving thing I can do is to point that out to you and and bring you into newness of life through the power of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Now some of you, you may be here today and these words are resonating in a very fresh way. Maybe you've had no real connection or interest in the things of God or if so, it's been very superficial or cultural at best. 
you know, you, you've had a pretty decent life. You know, there's, there's nothing in your life when you reflect on it that, that has been necessarily all that bad or regrettable. You had a good upbringing, a decent family. You, you had a good education. Your friends laugh at your jokes. You know, you have a job that you like. You pay your taxes. You floss. You call your grandma on Sunday. Like all the things, like, like your life is decent. But you also feel this sense in which there's a hollowness to the way in which you have lived your life. You feel the sense that something is missing. You feel the tension and the distinction between a life that is really alive and a life that is just living. And so, friend, I want to boldly and lovingly tell you that unless the Spirit of God is in you, you are not alive. But the good news is that you can find a fullness of life in the God who has given us his spirit to breathe into us new life so that we might be raised from our grave, raised from our death, raised from the death of our mere living into the life of being truly alive. God declares these, these words through Ezekiel in verses 13 and 14. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit brings newness of life to dead bodies that are convinced that they're alive, but if they're honest with themselves, know that while they have the appearance of life, there is death inside them. But notice what God says at the end of verse 14. I have spoken and I will do it. This promise, this vision that we see in Ezekiel, it is, it's not fulfilled in the time of Israel's history. This fulfillment, this promise, this vision is not brought to fruition until the dawn of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we see it more clearly revealed in what could be described as the New Testament version of what we read in Ezekiel 36 and 37. Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who knew the word of God well and comes to Jesus inquiring what it, who this man is. And in John 3, we read this interaction, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and then be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is a living example of a fully intact body that has no breath in its lungs. He was a Pharisee. He was well-trained in the Old Testament. He knew and perhaps even memorized the whole book of Ezekiel. He has all the workings of someone alive, but he is dead. And Jesus declares to him in no uncertain terms that the only way to live is to be brought to life. And the only way to be brought to life 
is to be born of the Spirit. And friends, this is precisely the good news that we hear. If we only had Ezekiel as our, as our gospel, we, we would be a little bit hopeless. But what we have, when you read Ezekiel with John 3, there is the promise that the Spirit has come to bring us into new life, to be brought into a life through His Spirit by sharing in the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. You see, Christ's death on the cross absolutely forgives us of sin. It is no less than that. But, but that was for a purpose. We, we're, we're forgiven so that we might now be recipients and temples of the Holy Spirit so that God may dwell with us now and forever. The only way to live is to be brought to life. And so friends, maybe, maybe you are here and you, you resonate with the first part of this vision. You recognize and feel that you are nothing more than a pile of bones. You feel quite clearly you are dead. Or, or maybe you are here and, and you are convinced, you are convinced that you are alive when you are actually just a breathless body, deceived by your sin, deceived by your corruption. Or maybe you are here and you hear the rattling of bones. Maybe you hear the rushing wind of the Spirit. And maybe you hear the voice of Jesus calling you out of your grave into newness of life, who summons you into life with him. My hope and prayer is that all of us would wrestle honestly with this question. Am I really alive or am I just living? And friends, the hope that we have is that through Christ Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, through the power of his spirit that ministers this truth to us, we can walk out of the graves of our sin, of our guilt, of our shame. We can be delivered into newness of life and we can stop living this lie that we think we're alive when actually we are nothing more than a pile of bones. We cannot resuscitate ourselves. New life is only possible through the Spirit who reveals to us this beautiful news that we can be born again of the Spirit, entering the kingdom now and forever. And so again, are you really alive or are you just living? Friends, Jesus has come to offer us newness of life through his spirit. He is changing lives in our midst. He has been doing so since the beginning of time. And we as a, as a church family have been able to witness that and see the celebration of new life. As we recognize and celebrate along with, with other baptized sisters and brothers in our church community. And so as we think about and ponder this question, am I really living or am I just, am I really alive or am I just living? I want us to consider the new life that is ours as we celebrate the stories of those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus. So together, let us celebrate and see these stories together. Take a look.